Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Barangaroo Studios, the AusBiz COV is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. Well, good afternoon to you. Welcome to the COB to start a fresh new week. It is the 7th of September, a Monday afternoon. I'm Nadine Blaney and um, here with you again, Scotty. Here with you again, Scotty. It's fantastic to be here, Nadine. How are you? Really, really well, thank you. Now, we had a good day today. Uh, Look, it was a positive finish for the market overall. Put on about two-tenths of a percent when all was said and done. But, you know, you've got to say... Nah, there wasn't great volumes. We're still just hanging out, aren't we, to wait to see what happens on U.S. markets? Yeah, uh, a small gain. And uh, I've got to say, across the region, it was pretty mixed. But I'll tell you what, I'm sick of uh, U.S. public holidays and watching Asian markets meander their way through them. Uh, low volumes, directionless. Uh, it just happens every single time. And today was no exception. Look, I think from a local investor perspective, we saw some gains in the, uh, the XJO today, uh, X2C. No, we'll take that after what we saw on Wall Street. But whether it lasts, you know, we'll have to get confirmation from the United States first to go and make sure from a directional perspective where we head next. Does that, is that sort of frustrating? It sounds like maybe it's a bit frustrating to you that we've got to wait all the time to follow our, our you know, the big leader? Yeah, we're the most populous region in the world by quite some distance. There's lots of smart people here, lots of capital. Uh, but old world thinking still dominates financial markets. And uh, at some time, there will be a, ch- a shift change when it comes to mindset and investors will start taking the cues from, uh, from Asian markets more seriously. But at the moment, it just seems that everyone reverts back to the thing, well, the United States is on holidays today, so we might have to take a holiday from, from big, uh, big activity uh, ourselves. And it just it was remarkable over the, uh, over the years just watching how it's the same old, same old story every time. Low volumes, very low volatility. You now you test the ranges, but that's basically it. And then you finish basically uh, where you started the session. Yeah, so we saw CSL securing an initial COVID-19 vaccine supply deal. It was up by 1.1%. The material space also did quite well. BHP was up 1.6, 2.4%. Um, actually, BHP was up 2.4. Rio was up by 2.5. So it's an interesting one. Um, when you consider the data that we had coming out of China today, iron ore prices pushed higher, futures throughout the session, pulled back a little bit toward the end of the Australian session, but that was pretty solid data coming from China. Yeah, the uh, export side of the equation certainly looks good from a headline perspective, although if you look under the hood, a lot of it relates to health uh, supplies from the pandemic that was actually going the other direction from China to the United States. And I think a lot of people are looking at the import side of the equation and yes, it's only measured in, uh, in dollar terms. It's, it's got impacted by currency movements and the like. But uh, there was really not too much reaction to, uh, to that data, I've got to say. You mentioned iron ore futures. They did have it. They skirted high uh, at the start of trade, but they came back quite high with a thud afterwards. So once again, that sort of mean reversion intraday that we saw across so many other markets is also prevalent in Chinese markets today. We saw the consumer discretionary sector losing 0.7% here. Uh, on the back of that Melbourne lockdown being extended. West Farmers was off by 1.6%. JB Hi-Fi down by 2.2%. 
We had a lot of conversations through the day today about the situation in Melbourne. Yeah. You've got to say that um, the business community, and this is not a generalization, this is the truth out of everyone we spoke to, very much not on board. I thought that one of the interesting points to come from the conversations I had was from the Chapel Street precinct. So this is uh, the CEO of that area, you know, that shopping mm-hmm. area, who said, look, um, we're not being trusted to do the right thing. You know, the outbreaks when it comes to the second wave did not come from retailers or people in the community not doing the right thing where they were supposed to do. It all emanated from the, you know, the debacle around the hotel quarantine. So his point was, look, we were being COVID safe. We can social distance. We can ensure that our, our restaurants and our cafes do the right thing. We need to have trust. You need to trust us. And uh, in return, you know, the government has lost all of their faith and trust. And pretty, see, pretty, pretty powerful. Yeah, look, I'm not surprised by that rhetoric. You know, I look back in time and the hotel quarantine fiasco is going to end up being the most costly economic mistake that we've seen here in Australia by eons. Uh, one can't go and put a, a price tag, but it is going to be immense. Then you're thinking about other health aspects, mental health aspects, you know, job failures, job losses. Uh, we know that Basically, every case here in New South Wales stems from that Melbourne outbreak in the first place. Just shows that how influential this whole thing has been across the entire economy. Uh, to see what the uh, business leaders are saying, I'm not surprised in the slightest. The one thing I found from that roadmap was not necessarily the first phase to come out of you no know, current measures, which I think is okay. So that's averaging 30 to 50 yeah. new cases a day uh, over a 14-day trailing period. It's beyond that getting under five new cases a day. Such a high bar. That to me, if you're sitting here, I've written about this before, in New South Wales, we have not been able to achieve that in the slightest. And we have the top uh, trace and testers out there at the moment. Look at what we've been able to achieve. We're looking at a scenario where we just might be in this lockdown scenario in Victoria, particularly Melbourne, obviously, this is the epicenter of it, for such a prolonged period of time. And I think some common sense needs to prevail. Like, you know, in time, the economic and other health costs associated with such a prolonged lockdown is going to be so immense. It will override and overwhelm anything that we're trying to go and do at the moment to go and protect people from this pandemic. This is not a unique thought, but all of the other sicknesses, all of the other things that people are not being treated for. And then you have the flip side of the coin that, you know, people are not getting sick with the regular flu. I just think, yeah, when I saw that five cases at over a fortnight, it just seems near impossible. Um, you know, unless you're going for full eradication, which I don't think anybody has said we're going for. Yeah, look, it's really interesting. We don't get timely information on the matter, but I'd love to go and see the net death rate, the excess death rate at the moment in Australia. And I'll be surprised whether they're actually seeing any change. In fact, I reckon it'll be probably that we're seeing less deaths than normal because everyone is avoiding each other. I've seen some stats on seasonal flu here in Australia, and it's nowhere near as prevalent as what you'd see in the past. You think about how many people die each year from the flu, it does make you wonder whether that five caseload average over a trailing fortnight period is a realistic goal. Okay, well, you know, this is the reality that we're living. And I mentioned CSL doing really well today. Part of that uh, could have been the rotation uh, into more, you know, different areas of the market other than tech, but it also has to do with the announcement in relation to vaccines. It was the stock of the day. And Akashi sat down with two of his expert guests to find out what they make of CSL. Uh, let's hear first from Andrew Whiteland. He is from DP Wealth Advisory. That's one of my one of my favourites. Uh, I'd be very keen picking these up. Certainly, sub three hundred is certainly the uh, the green light for me. During uh, that sort of March twenty three madness, 
got down as low as 250 bucks. That was just, you know, you should have been all over that like a cheap suit. But it is just a such a quality business. It's got a 36% return on shareholders' funds. Uh, there's so many positive drivers. Probably one of the, the only negatives I can think of is that rising dollar. But uh, overall, very comfortable, quite, very comfortable company. I find that most clients don't own it because they're scared of paying $280. But this is a company that is just doing so well, so I'd be very comfortable in holding on to it. One of the great companies we've got. Um, look, their plasma division was a little bit uh, underperforming on the basis that people weren't in the city to stop at the blood donation banks. Yeah. Um, look, we feel as though this um, winter that's just gone by, they've only reported on one of the three months. Right. Um, by the time they report on everything, uh, I think that people have will have gone and got the vaccine, the flu vaccine, uh, yeah. this year. So that revenue should be yeah. uh, at an all-time high. So Because they produce the flu vaccine for Australia, don't they? It, They're the manufacturer of it. Yeah, exactly yep. right. And obviously there's huge barriers for entry for any competition, yeah. uh, which is why they've performed so strongly. Um, growing population, you know, which is a growing market for them. Yeah. Um, look, if you get it under $300, count yourself lucky, right. um, make a, a sizable allocation and then just uh, forget about it. Right. And finishing off those thoughts on CSL was Rob Cortlett. He's from Macro Capital. And I don't think I'm shocked, but both gents say it's a buy. It's a good one to have, hold and keep for a very long time. I think CSL was already in the fund, but uh, if not, it's been added yep. to ASL. Ching. Okay. Uh, well, from an old uh, seasoned name to two new kids on the block. We finished the day by speaking with Layby, the ASX's newest entrance in the buy now, pay later space. LBY is the ticker code. Finished the session up by close to 50% after raising $80 million in the IPO. Uh, market cap of $246 million. Boy, it's getting a bit crowded in that space, isn't it? It is. I asked Julia Lee from Berman Invest why so many buy now, pay later providers go and invest in Australia. That share price reaction to the IPO tells you exactly why they come here. <laughs> Australians just lap it up. Uh, I'm not sure whether that enthusiasm extended to abroad, but uh, obviously, uh, given the number of names who are listed here, we generally love them. And Zip will be added to the 200 as well. Okay, if you'd like to listen to that interview with Leigh uh, the family who started the company are out probably as we speak having a bit of a, a celebration after a long day and a long road. Uh, we will be checking in with that company, no doubt, in the weeks and months to come. And then the other new, um, new entrant into the market is Superhero. What a name for a game. Not all heroes wear capes, <laughs> particularly day traders who sit there at the moment uh, punting their superannuation money around and the like. But, uh, oh, cynical. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see whether it lasts. Like I've seen so many speculative frenzies, not only here, but abroad. Uh, this is going to go and fizzle out at some point. Then we'll see whether any of these new entrants survive. Well, invest your way for just $5 a trade. That is the tagline, your money, your move. But it, it does all the sort of images that that conjures in my mind all point to the gamification you know of, of day trading yeah five bucks a pop and everything else you do wonder where the revenue is going to come from we know that some vendors overseas some uh, some offerings do offer uh selling order flow and the like to go and boost uh revenues uh, a lot of these i know i know robin hood makes a vast majority of its revenues that come through from people losing options trades 
so obviously that's not a, a long-term business model. If all your customers lose money, you rely upon others coming to bring in. So uh, we'll see what happens in time, but obviously there's a lot of interest in these particular areas. Uh, and the markets are absolutely full of speculative activity. For the time being, they're going to see a lot of these uh, new players enter. Uh, where they all come out is the uh, big question. Yeah, but they say they're disrupting. They've got great pedigree, great backers. And yeah, everything seems to be going their way uh, right now. So who are we to doubt a superhero? If you'd like to listen to that interview, you can. It's uh, on our website, our app, or if you're listening to the podcast, which obviously you are right now, excuse me, uh, you can do so via the show notes. It's the end of a Monday. Uh, We've still got... Plenty on tap when it comes to data tomorrow. We've got the consumer confidence read from ANZ, of course, all eyes on what's happening in Victoria. But we also get the NAB business confidence read for August. I think that's going to be really uh, interesting to read and important to watch, though not likely market moving. No, it always contains a lot of information that's uh, that's easy to go and understand and uh, basically will give you a pretty good snapshot of what businesses are thinking. We know we've got some temporary factors in play at the moment, uh, most likely. Uh, the Victorian uh, lockdowns obviously going to be really uh, influential in that survey. I'm also keen to go and see what this uh, payrolls uh, and, uh, and wages data from the ABS has got to show. Yes, there seems to be a lot of revisions to that data, but on top of what we saw with the ANZ job ad series today, revealing only a 1.6% monthly increase in August, and uh, with job ads still 30% lower than a year ago. Uh, I'm particularly keen to go and see what's happening in that space, especially what's happening in New South Wales, and uh, sorry for being New South Wales-centric, uh, as someone who's a proud, uh, proud New South Welshman. If we don't see a recovery here in New South Wales with Victoria very weak as it is, uh, I have really, really great fears for what the economic outlook will look like in the latter parts of this year. Yeah, I spoke with Catherine Birch from ANZ today in the wake of that release, and she was saying, look, there's some serious questions about Q4 now in particular, and we could very well see a double-dip recession. A lot is going to come down to fiscal policy. We're going to be talking about budgets, federal, state, more and more and more, Scotty. I can feel it. We also had a good conversation with um, Warren Hogan from EQ Economics. That, that'll be on the website, and he was saying, look, 2021 is not, it's not a recovery year. You know, yeah. This is going to go on for a long time, peeps. The V-shaped recovery was never going to happen. Uh, when you look at any uh, downturn in the past of any magnitude, you never see a V-shaped recovery. Now, Chinese, I know, is the exception this year, but that's obviously a different kind of uh, government structure yeah. to what we enjoy in the Western world. Uh, it's really interesting to see what plays out, but there is so, many, so much uncertainty at the moment, and there's still so much stimulus coming through the economy. When we're going to see those curtail in the next couple of months, uh, loan... Uh, the ferals will start coming un- unstuck. Uh, we'll also see the rent holidays also removed. So once we get a real picture to see what underlying trends are in the economy, I think it's going to look very different to what we're seeing today. Okay, well, back on the agenda this week is Brexit, and we'll be speaking with David McCready. He is CEO of the Australian-British Chamber of Commerce. To start the day, what would a no-deal Brexit look like? What would the implications be locally, importantly? We'll be talking with Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. We'll be talking everything stock specific. That's you and I tomorrow, Scotty. Looking forward to that. And the day continues and we wrap it all up with one of our favorites. We have many favorites, must be said. Martin Crabb, CIO of Shaw and Partners. And um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be waiting still for the US market to open. 
Yes, uh, in hiatus and status until we go and get some uh, clear leads. Maybe Europe will give us a, a better indication tonight. Uh, as you've pointed out many times in recent weeks, the Labor Day holiday in the United States really marks the end of summer. We're going to start seeing a pickup in volumes coming through, maybe some testing to the downside, in particular in those high beta uh, growth stocks that we've seen such massive gains in recent months, put to the test as, uh, as more people move back to the desks. Okay, it's a sunny, it looks like a sunny wrap to the day here, Scotty. Should we get out and enjoy it? Yeah, I'm going to do some exercise, going burn up uh, the, the wharf here, but uh, I'm looking forward to doing it all again tomorrow. <laughs> See you then.